Welcome everyone back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and it is a beautiful Friday morning in uh, sunny El Segundo, California. How is it in Westlake, Tracy Pearson? It's just as probably as pretty as it is down there in El beautiful effing Segundo. Yeah, El Segundo, um, where the wind comes sweeping down the plain. Yeah, well, we, <laughs> we have that also in common. Westlake Thousand Oaks is a wind tunnel. It's just, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. We, we get the sea breeze. You get the, uh, the valley, the valley breeze. Yeah, um, just wi- right through those valleys. Just like, I can't even, I've got this beautiful red banana tree kind of thing that's just beautiful. The poor dude is just ripped apart every year, just torn. He's just sitting there saying, just dig me up, take me out of my misery. And I just can't. So, yeah, because so. at heart you are um, actually uh, a sadist against plants. I'm a uh, arbor, an ar- a s- arbor sadist. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, <laughs> I've always known this about you, and I've uh, been reluctant to report it. Um, just people out of talk a, about me yeah. out of concerns about defamation, uh, but you've you've now outed yourself, so I feel um, more. I go out and like it. verbally abuse all of my shrubbery. I know. I know it's one of your favorite pastimes, and uh, honestly, it was something that made me uncomfortable. Or many times at UCLA practice, uh, or because, when I came because it was house. so weird. Because it, <laughs> you even have this uh, visceral reaction to artificial turf. Um, More, I mean, I, I don't. Come on, who are you? You can't even be real. You got to know. It's so like, and I feel like um, you know. Honestly, I felt. Um, uh, like contact shame um, for the turf. I mean, I think it really uh, did a lot to its self-esteem. Um, you saw me that one time outside your house talking to your plants, right? Yeah. Well, I think you just go around nightly and you just yell at plants. <laughs> it's better than – it's a good way to take out your frustrations. Well, okay. that's, that's to- not what the plants say. I'm just saying. Um, yeah, that, all right. that's true. <laughs> we are a UCLA sports podcast. We talk about UCLA sports on this podcast. And uh, last night, UCLA sported. Uh, I'm still high. I got Jalen Clark buzz. Oh man. Oh man. Okay. We got a we got a deep dive on this thing. All right. So Dude. going into yesterday, you had some probably some inklings that there were going to be some changes um, with how Mick Cronin sounded after the USC game. Um, that there might be some lineup switches. But who could have been prepared for exactly what happened? First, Tiger Campbell uh, unexpectedly um, was missing the game for a one game you know suspension violation of team rules. Who knows what it is. Um, and then also Miles Johnson was inserted into the starting lineup in place of Cody Riley. But with Campbell out, Jules Bernard slid to the point and Jalen Clark came in and started, uh, and played 34 minutes and, uh, how, okay, let's start here, Tracy. How, I don't know how will Mick Cronin, so much to say. how will Mick Cronin justify ever putting that guy on the bench again? Uh, I could see him putting him on the bench, but I, uh, starting on the bench, uh, but he's got to play him 25 plus minutes, 25, I'd say 25 to 28 to get his, his the full Jalen Clark effect. Here's um, what I would say. I think the only thing preventing him from playing Jaime minutes, meaning I will play him until he falls down is the simple fact that he arrived in year two and not in year one. Yeah. I think if you're judging it based on strictly, um, his performance, obviously, but also his attributes as a, quote, Mick Cronin player. I don't know that there is actually another guy on the team who fits that more aptly. Like, I think Jaime, when he's fully healthy, is close. But Jalen Clark's a freak, man. 
Well, for one thing, too, um, along those same lines, uh, we've all, you know, recognized it. Uh, Mick Cronin is tough on guys. I mean, during games, you know, he, he will lay into them. Jalen Clark, either he's like completely suppressing it or it just rolls right, right over him. He doesn't even care. He's just like, yeah, okay. I'm going to go out. Yeah. You know, that's, a, that's some good notes there, coach. I'm, you, it does not phase him. You can see it like phasing Jules Bernard occasionally. Doesn't phase him. Um, that game, you know, we've been talking up Jalen Clark. I, I've been talking him up all, all year. He's flashed in so many games and, you know, you don't want to pull rank and say, you know, for those who know basketball, but I, I, I trust most of the bros are, are pretty learned basketball guys because they show it on the, they show it on the forum. And I, I even tried to write it in the game review on how he impacts so many different phases of the game. And it's almost impossible to capture it. I, I read my story at 11 o'clock at night and said, yeah, that still didn't do it. Still didn't capture it because... You put him in first. Let's just start with defense. You put him into the defense. He changes the defense. He absolutely changes it. And just not his man defense, his on-ball defense, but everything else. If you watch him, what he does, how he anticipates ball movement, how he anticipates where people are going to be, how fast he moves and, and, and effortlessly, too, in help. Just so many, so many little aspects of defense. But we knew that. What's coming out now, what I tried to write about, I think unsuccessfully, it's he changes the offense. He is, I, I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb. I've said it before, Peyton Watson is an NBA player. Yeah, eventually he'll get there. The next, or equally so, an NBA player is, is Jalen Clark. Not only because of his athleticism and his body, but for a lack of a better term that captures it, his feel for the game. It's incredible. It's, it's just, it's really uncanny. If y'all haven't go back and watch that game and just isolate on it, watch what he's doing on both ends of the court. You know um, what it is, Tracy, like honest to God, I think a huge part of his game is the simple fact that he has probably played. What he strikes me as is a guy who has played just a shitload of basketball, like somebody who has played front guard ball. I, Somebody yeah. who has just been in immersed in it since he was probably five years old, because that's uh, yeah, that's. I think all these, a lot of these kids have done that. I don't. I, I'm, I'm saying it's DNA. He just has a naturally great basketball IQ in so many situations. In that offense, so that offense can break down to being isolation one on one too much. Even with Tiger Campbell in the game, Tiger can tend to go one-on-one himself with Jalen Clark. It changes the whole dynamic of the offense. There's an extra pass. There are guys moving because they know they're going to get passed to there's the ball goes inside. He there's, there isn't just a drive because it's your turn to go one-on-one. He drives because there's actually uh, room to penetrate. He does backdoor cuts. He, mo- he just, I'm telling you, I, I don't think we could be too effusive. I'm not saying this guy is Michael Jordan, obviously, but no, he's we better. Haven't, we, we haven't seen a player like this with such a naturally great feel for it. And 
I, I'm going to go opposite of what you said. I think he's just starting to play basketball. I think he this is just all natural feel. And once he gets a lot of playing time under his belt, then it could get really, really otherworldly. Well, no, so what I'm saying is I think he's played a lot of um, um, instinctual basketball. Like, I think he's... Like, the way he can follow the ball caroming off the rim is the mark of somebody who has it down to, like, literally it's it's not even thinking about it. He just knows where it's going to go. Yeah, but Dave, that's, that's from, natural that, no, feel. No, 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 no. That's no, natural no, feel. No, 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 yep, no, yep, no. Yep, There's yep. no such thing. It's not. Oh, no, you are, Dave, I'm sorry. No, 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 You are applying the J.J. Abrams theory of Jedi which is that it has no. to be genetic. I'm I'm saying no. It's it's he's got some he's got some gifts obviously. He's he's obviously a tremendous athlete. But you don't learn how a ball caroms off a rim by just guessing. I mean, unless he's like a geometry guy. Um, uh, I, I completely disagree. I've seen AU basketball <laughs> when there are these young kids who have not played almost at all and there are just kids who naturally anticipate where a ball is going. They know how to control their body. It's just a natural 100% feel. Now, can they get better and better? Can other guys get better with playing? Absolutely. But this dude is a natural feel kind of guy. This, I, He's so raw in so many other ways. I don't think this is like he's gotten this good because he's played a lot. This is 100% natural feel. And that's the problem because there are guys who have played a lot and they don't have this. They just don't have it. They don't. And you can see it. I saw Kevin Love when he was 14 and a half years old. He was six, five and a half, and he weighed like 225 pounds. He was this pudgy little kid. I saw him warming up to, to layups. I had heard all about him. It was in a distant gym in Las Vegas. And I said, are you kidding me? This, no way. There's no way. And then you watched him being able to rebound just his feel for the ball coming off the rim. His ability to know what to do just naturally. Had he played a lot of basketball? Absolutely, but it was way beyond that. There are guys that just have the feel. Sorry, I think we're actually disagreeing on this. We disagree. Um, so, regardless, um, his his nat his natural or learned feel uh, for the game there you go. is making a, uh, a it was making a huge impact last night on and as Tracy pointed out both ends I mean the defensive stuff like yeah we've talked about it a lot but the way he just full-on stops actions just by himself I love that it's that just, used to be my favorite part of him where he's just on ball defending and he's just he's just kind of he's just kind of standing there and he's moving his feet there. right and it's he's getting to the spot before that guy gets to the spot and they just have to stop. Like, it's not like he's blocking a bunch of shots or doing this or doing that. He's just moving his body. And the guy's like, oh, I actually can't do the thing that I wanted to do to initiate that's this offense. And I have to go reset now. That's the best part of the offensive guys when he starts to realize. He's like backing him in. And he starts to realize he's all, oh, crap. I, I, I can't do anything here. <laughs> well, and it's, it's so interesting because you contrast it with the way Peyton Watson defends, which I also think was very effective um, at times last night. But he's overwhelming guys with his length, right? He gets yeah. up in them, and then he's quick enough that he can just kind of overwhelm them. Like when he forced that backcourt, it was my length. I am I am literally making it unable for you to pass this ball forward. You cannot do it. Yeah. Um, Jalen Clark, it's I'm going to move my body more or less perfectly in step with what you're trying to do, and you're not going to be able to get past me, and it's very sad for you, and I'm sorry. 
Uh, in, in times where it looks like he's completely uh, goading them into making a move. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, and, and go, the, go do that. I know you're going to go was, there, but if you go there, I'll beat you to it and I'll, and I'll just shit Well, you. and that was the thing is like you can see him also. His understanding of what they're trying to do defensively is so beautiful. Um, yes. Like there was one play where I think Cronin got super pissed at Cody in the first half where he didn't step out for the charge where clearly the design of the play was Jalen Clark was going to funnel him down the left side of the key, and then Cody had to step in and take the charge. And, you know, if you were watching that, you're like, oh, did Jalen Clark just get beat off the dribble? No, that was the entire design of what they were trying to do. It's just Cody didn't step out to take the charge. Um, he, he kind of, there was the, I think it was the same play. He kind of did, and then he just kind of backed away and yeah, let the guy go by. Yeah, exactly. Um, but like even the plays where he's getting beat, you got to think, well, w- wait, was that the design of the play? Like, was that yeah. what they were trying to do defensively? Um, but yeah, I mean the, the, what he was doing on the offensive end, I mean, uh, uh just like that one, that one back cut, uh, that Jaime found him for the layup. Like just, just uh, obviously it takes some athleticism to show one way and then cut behind and, and make that but work. But it's so effortless. It's Why so is he effortless. able to make these backdoor cuts? Why, I mean, why, it, everyone tries backdoor cuts and they can't. Why is he able to do it? I don't get it. He's, well, because I think right he, now he, he does I all think, those things that like, um, you know, like a, a great wide receiver, right? They've, they've got that ability to kind of show you one way and then just beat you on a, on like their first move. You know, he's got that natural feel. Like he does a head fake, the guy kind of stalls and then he gets behind him. So I think, right, uh, you know. Of all the coaches that have been at UCLA, I feel the most uncomfortable second-guessing Mick Cronin. Um, because I I think there's, like we talked about before, there's a genius behind a lot of the stuff he does, like we talked about Shakespeare, right? Um, but that doesn't stop us from doing it. If I if I had a Druthers, Druthers is such a good name. I should name a bar Druthers. It's That'd really be good. great. Um, I would sit Jaime Hawkes for a while or at least back him off, you know, 10 minutes back him off and let this, this is your natural. If you don't want to have to make a decision about playing time, just do that. Let Jaime get his, get his ankles completely healed because really I know, I know Mick Cronin is highly competitive and he's just not going to concede anything, but it's all about the NCAA tournament. That's what it's all about. And you want Jaime. I mean, remember the Jaime Hawkes from the beginning of the year? He looked like Damn. a potential All-American candidate. He did. And he's a shell of himself. And if you get that Hawkes back, with the way the team's individuals are starting to play, which we have to mention Tiger Campbell, who is the best player on this team uh, throughout this season and inarguable. Um and and uh, Miles Johnson stepping up, starting to come into his own, incrementally doing what he needs to do. Uh, I wrote last night. He's that. He's that same when he's on the court, especially in tandem with Jalen Clark. They're a different team. There's a whole that different first dynamic. Half, that first half was ridiculous. Yeah. W- w- the balls he was tipping away when he stepped out in the full court pressure and got that one steal at like half court. Just, I mean, uh, the instincts on defense are there. Um, his post defense was incredible, and his help defense was just off the charts. Yeah. So, I think he has the luxury to maybe sit Jaime for a while to get those ankles right. 
Um, of course, he has access to a lot. He might be saying, be told like, yeah, a week's not going to do anything. You know, that happens. But I wouldn't mind seeing that because it kind of makes me sad to see Jaime playing right now because we saw what he was. And he's such a warrior. And he, I, you know he's saying, put me out there. I want to play. Well, and I'll go, I'll go one step further. I, I think some people are, um, are, are hitting on something that I think is correct, but I don't think it's about any one guy. I think there's an element with Mick, and it's understandable, where when he has his full complement of starters, right? He's got Jules, he's got Jaime, he's got Johnny, he's got Tiger. Um, they can be a little bit of a crutch for him. Um, and that's why yeah. you end up with a lot more, I think, what you're seeing is isolation basketball. Um, because he's relying on these guys. He's seen them perform, he's seen them do it. When it's a bunch of the bench dudes out there, um, you know, when David Singleton and Jake Kyman are playing a ton of minutes, when Jalen Clark is out there, how much better is the ball movement? And that's not a matter of those individuals being selfish players. It's a matter, I think, of what the directive is from the coaching staff. You know, he knows he can rely on Johnny to get his buckets. He knows he can rely on Jaime to back a guy down in the post and, and uh, you know, score over him. He knows he can rely on Tiger Campbell to bang some threes and, and do some stuff at the end of the shot clock. But when it's a bunch of other guys that he doesn't know that they can create their own shot, um, suddenly the emphasis is much more on ball movement, passing, getting open, back cuts, that whole thing. I think and, it's both. I think you're right, but I think it's both. I, I, I think there is a, probably a coach directive on how to play without those guys, but it's also, I mean, it's also those guys doing yeah, what they I mean, can within the parameters that, that I mean, there there's a set that, that Cronin calls, and then there's so many different variables that can come out of that. And those guys you mentioned tend to go more on one-on-one one on one out of those sets. Yeah, and it's uh, and I think um, and it it then lends itself to um, I think prettier basketball. Uh, oh my god! Because so I mean, there was that one possession where it was multiple passes ending with a David Singleton corner three that he banged home was one of the prettiest offensive possessions they've had since Cronin's been there. Yeah, just it was inside out, kicking around the uh, around the three point line. Um, it was just uh, really quick. Ball didn't stop. Um, and that was, you know, that was the thing where, um, you know, the ball just wasn't stopping, um, which made it, you know, much more enjoyable to watch. But again, uh, to the larger point, so much of it started with their defense. Um, and frankly, they had, I think, what was it? Nine, 16 turnovers in the game. Yeah. Um, not nine in the first half, nine yeah. in the first half. Um, and they blew a ton of transition opportunities. If they had just, I don't know, because uh, the, the turnovers, yeah, some of it was because they didn't have Tiger. Like, Jules turned it over a couple of times where it was obvious it was just because they didn't have a point guard out there. But a lot of them were just kind of dopey turnovers um, that are uncharacteristic for this team, with or without Tiger. Uh, if you cleaned those up and you just simply converted a little bit better in transition, like how many times did Peyton Watson just blow a layup in transition? Um, yeah. They would have they would have smoked this team by 35. So what's your, along those same lines, because it's related, what was your opinion of the press? I thought I liked its effectiveness at times. Obviously, it, it depends on personnel. With Cody Riley in there, you can't do it. But but it, don't you think it sped the, it, it led to some UCLA turnovers? It too. led to some UCLA turnovers. Yeah, and uh, honestly, I thought um, there was some, I'm not enough of a technician to know what was technically wrong with it, but they were doing such a hard press, but then once they got it back into the middle, uh, there was no pressure on that guy. Um, yeah. And I think it was because they were overbalancing and um, and maybe not having somebody picking him up. 
But I also think that when they were doing it with Miles, it worked pretty well. When they did it with Cody, it didn't. And I think it's because he's just – he's not active enough on the back end to challenge – I think he's too slow of foot and not confident enough in his length um, to challenge uh, the half-court passes that they were trying. Because Miles, he was like, well, I've got the length. If I just get out there, I'm going to make that pass hard. So I'm going to yeah. go do it. I don't think Cody's as confident in his length, and for good reason. Um, so he was playing on his heels a little bit more, which I think ruined the press to a large extent. Like, there were a couple of fast-break buckets for Washington State when Cody was in there because of that. Um, but here's – this is what this does, though. And this is what – if you talk to coaches, this is a big thing for them. They only have so much time to practice every week. And they want to get they've, – they've watched all the tape. They want to get all, all of these different aspects of their scout – installed with their team they've now flashed this full court press opposing teams that might have a little bit of a question about ball handling or maybe not even that are going to have are looking at tape and going okay ucla could press us so we gotta work on on a press break that's that's what they so they're taking a little this it's all this is all coaches think about what I'm going to do this, and even if this isn't effect, I'm going to get the opposing coach to have to spend practice time on this. They always deal with that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so UCO has shown it now, and it's in two obvious situations. Like Washington State was lacking um, some ball handling and initiation yesterday. Stanford um, obviously is a team you can press, uh, but they've they've only kind of brought it out in um, situations. But when you watch it, I mean. There's a there's a personnel group that can absolutely do it for UCLA. It just it has to involve, I think, three critical guys. Peyton Watson, Jalen Clark, and Miles Johnson. If you get those three guys on the court, they can press a lot of teams because you've got Peyton Watson challenging the inbounds, and that is nuts. Or you have Jalen Clark challenging the inbounds. I think he first forced four turnovers off of inbounds plays yesterday. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I think that was the count. It, it looks so effortless. Yeah, it well, so no, oh, it looks like nothing because away. the friggin' camera's not even catching it. Like yeah. there were two, uh, yeah. there were two inbounds plays that reinforced turnovers where we didn't even see the play because I was I was picturing the director up in the booth. Hey, do we have another angle? <laughs> yeah, um, but you get those three guys on the floor with their length and athleticism. Um, I mean, yeah, there's some ideal other personnel that you would have out there. Probably a little bit more length. Probably get Jaime out there. Probably get uh, I don't know Johnny maybe. Um, but uh, if you get those three guys out there, they can press a lot of teams. Um, it's just not something you really want to do. Um, just kind of, this is our style and we're going to do it all the time. But I think situationally, you, your point is correct. I think it did get them sped up and I think it did make them make some poor decisions in transition. I think what they need, I mean, there's there's some obvious rules to how they should uh, execute in transition, but literally if there's even one or two guys back and you're just one guy, probably don't try it. Probably just pull it out because you're more likely to get a better shot in half court with just... Just the way they're lined up. I think like the only two guys who can really finish in transition on this team right now are Johnny and uh, Jalen. I don't think anybody else is really equipped to handle it. Like Jaime was a good finisher in transition, but without the explosion, he's not. Um, Jules Bernard really has trouble finishing in transition. Peyton Watson obviously can't finish in transition. Like it should be a rule for Peyton, unless you have a clean breakaway. Uh, you're not you're not just trying to score um, over one guy in transition because you're more than likely going to miss the shot or um, turn it over. 
Interesting too. Uh, if they can get Jaime back, I, I think they're literally one guy among Cody Riley or Jules Bernard recovering previous form from really being a threat in the NCAA tournament. And Jules um, showed signs yesterday. He showed, and hey, let's give Cody a little bit of credit. Oh boy. I mean, that was a hell of a season. Talk about a transition finisher, baby. Yeah. When he's, when he's got some momentum behind him, he can get up. But I mean, first he made the free throws, tipped that ball, got the steal, got fouled. And with all of that adrenaline, just knocked down the and one free throw. And like I wrote, First time I've seen Cody smile, probably, I don't know, in a long time. He broke a smile. Someone came up to him and said something, and he actually smiled. Much has been made about Miles being a little bit passive as a player, but I think that strikes Cody a little bit, too. I think he, he he's a tough guy. Like, he's a very tough guy, but he can be a little bit – like, what, what stood out was his aggression. Like, when he attacks the hoop like that – he can get up. He's not like completely groundbound. Like he can get off the floor a little bit. It's just I think sometimes he's plagued by inactivity, um, and it happens a lot on defense. And I think he's in his own head a little bit. Um, but I, I think he noticeably. I mean, he he was always you know groundbound, but I I think he's clearly has not. Whether it's really physically or if it's just in his mind, he is not. He's not confident in his knee. He's not confident think. in the knee. And it's funny, too, because, like I said before, Jaime Hawkes is not like an, an upper-level athlete. But with him and Riley, if you just take a little bit off of them in terms of they're not quite 100% physically or they don't have enough confidence in their knee or their ankle, that's enough to really ground-bound them. And that's what's happening with Cody. Maybe he'll be able to play through this, and by March, he'll play with more confidence. Or maybe it is still lingering knee issues, but it would be great to get him. Uh, we're all kind of forgetting. Last year, there were some games, and Cody Riley, I mean, just carried the team. I mean, he was a beast in a couple of games. So it'd be good to get him. And he was, he was critical in the NCAA tournament. So it'd be good to get him back. But I, I don't, I'm not getting greedy. I just think one among him and, and Jules Bernard, uh, early season Jules Bernard, too. And I think we saw a little bit of that last night. I mean, Jules, um, it was a it was a, a quiet eight points, four rebounds, but hit two threes, um, played okay defense. And frankly, given the demand on him to play point guard in this one um, and Washington State recognizing that Tiger wasn't there, only two turnovers is not that bad. Um, yeah. I thought he played pretty well. Um, if there's someone I'm rooting for on the team more than anyone else is Jules Bernard because the dude, as we're talking about natural feel and he, he doesn't have that great natural feel. No. We saw him. He's turned himself into a player by playing a lot of basketball and really his own determination. And it just, his whole body language and demeanor too, just screams out that you, you are rooting for him. You just, and you've seen it now, so you'd hate to see him take so many step back, steps back like he has and not come out of this. Yeah. Yeah, it, it would be very, um, very rewarding to see. And I honestly, I'm not even just advocating for my boy Clark to start, but I think Bernard, it makes more sense from a usage standpoint for him to potentially be on the second unit because then he can kind of lead that unit in scoring. Because um, right now, when you've got... 
Juzang, and let's just say Hawkes gets a little bit more healthy and he's able to shoulder a little bit more offensive load going forward. There's only one ball to go around, and Tiger is also becoming a more high-usage offensive player. You know, his, his three-point shooting makes it, and he needs to get his shots. And it's just a lot, and that's, I think, why you see sometimes that taking turns offense, where maybe if Bernard is coming off the bench and being the lead scorer guy off the bench, um, that smooths things out a little bit more and allows for a little bit more ball movement um, when they are all... When they uh, when the starting unit includes Clark instead, um, you were talking. You wrote a story about you know what's up with their three point shooting. Uh, that game last night. This last thing before we actually talk about football, maybe, um, maybe. Um, <laughs> I, there was a marked difference. They what they shoot fifty percent last night from three. Yep, and that's because they had a little bit, not even a little. They had a decent more on average of space per shot, on balance, catching the ball with no one in their face. Mostly, yeah, okay, let's let's say Washington State didn't defend them that well, but it was also some great ball movement offensively that create creates those open looks. That's the difference. Uh, they've been, uh, I thought, that their three-point shooting, one of the elements that has contributed to their percentage, you know, kind of plummeting, there just aren't great looks. They aren't getting the looks that they were at the beginning of the season, but last night they got those looks and they shot 50%. Yeah, it was a big part of it. And they also shot more. Um, Kind of my point in that thing, which I don't know if I got across as well. You did. Because it got a little lost, but they're just not shooting enough. Um, They were shooting a lot of uh, in the low teens and mid teens. And I know, I know a lot of the old school bros are like, oh, they should shoot even less. They should not take threes. They should only work it inside. I don't think people understand how little UCLA shoots from three compared to like the majority of college basketball right now. Um, It is at the very, very, very low end. Um, Mick Cronin is not a guy who prioritizes three point shots. Um, And it can be detrimental. Um, and I think it has been of late. I think they needed to be a little bit more free and easy shooting the three and particularly two guys because Juzang, he made all three of his three point shots yesterday and not all of them were like clean, fully open looks. Um, he made one that was like a fall away into the corner. Um, and you know, he has that ability to do that. And frankly, if he's going to be taking contested shots, I want those contested shots to come from two feet back. Um, not from 16 feet um, because he's shown this year he's at 39% now um, from three. That pure shooting that we saw last year, you know, that beautiful stroke, the whole thing, it's now actually translating to the three-point line in a way it wasn't even last year. Um, he needs to take more of those. Uh, he needs to, if he's, if, if, there, if there's still going to be an emphasis on getting Johnny just to, you know, take some shots, even if they're contested, take him from three. Because uh, he he's shown that he can hit him, and then Tiger. Generally agree. Generally agree. You're right. He he's he's good at hitting, not completely great looks. I agree. But I think, in in, it's in conjunction with what you were saying, shooting more. It's also all about good shot, bad shot. Uh, they should shoot more because they get they create better looks. <laughs> well, and the thing is, one noticeable, obvious thing was that Jules Bernard, his threes. How many did he end up taking? He took five. All of them, I think, were off passes. Um, they yeah. were all he was. He was open and he shot the ball, and that's what you want from him. Uh, yeah. He was. There were games where he took eight, nine threes earlier this year, 
where a lot of them were he was dribbling into it or he was end of shot clock and he end of take shot the clock. shot yeah um and that's you know stagnation caused by lack of offensive movement but also just his lack of vision you know those sorts of things and also probably his desire to shoot the ball uh last night it seemed like there was a real directive no jules you're ta- you're when you take a three it better be off a pass um yeah well but he had open looks yeah off the pass, and the, so he could, his catch and shoot was a lot better yeah absolutely so okay Basketball is great. We love gotta it. talk about football because come on, so much happened. Yes, th- this week we gotta As, touch on. All right, so let's start with the big one. Um, do you mean the one that we we broke the news on? The Bill, scoop, you mean? Bill McGovern. Bill McGovern. Bill Billsif McGovern. Billiam. Good old Bill. Okay. <laughs> uh, Billy Boy. Oh my God. Uh, McGovern. Uh, is, uh, he's a coach. He's, he's coached defensive football for some time. Um, he was last a defensive coordinator 10 years ago. Uh, his resume, here's what, here's what stood out to me is not only is he friends with Jerry Azanero, his resume is almost an exact facsimile of Jerry Azanero's. Like defensive coordinator basically one time, uh, and wasn't very good in some weird ACC spot. And if you look at him, uh, um, UCLA, uh, you know, whenever they hire a new coach, they do a little Adobe Photoshop and and put a little UCLA logo on a shirt and a hat, right? And that's the that's the uh, photo they release. I I had a double take. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a wait wait. Uh, first, I didn't know if they had taken a picture of McGovern and did that, just put the logo on. Or if they had taken a picture of Jerry Azanero and photoshopped <laughs> McGovern's face on. That's the funny part. Um, because if you if you gave him a big old beard, a big old white beard instead of uh, the little goatee, there's a there's a striking resemblance. Um, I, so I, I um, here's here's my 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 general thought on it is it's obviously uh, an uninspired hire. Um, obviously, uninspired I mean hire. it's it doesn't. That doesn't need to be belabored. Um, he's going back through his Rolodex, uh, found a guy he's worked with before who doesn't have a ton of experience doing the thing that he's going to be asked to do, which is coordinate the defense. Um, it could work out. Who the hell knows? I mean, you never know. But uh, the signs are certainly not there for it, too. Um, you know, it seems to come from the same tree. Seems to be kind of the same, uh, you know, makeup as Jerry Azanero, which uh, pointedly and obviously didn't work out. Um but I think the more interesting situation is kind of the financial piece, um, which we'll get into with the Mitchell Agude. But UCLA is paying him, McGovern, $450,000 a year uh, versus the seven fifty for as an Now, era. I've heard that from a number of sources. Um, so, yeah, uh, UCLA, of course. I, You know what? I'll admit, I didn't read the release. They didn't say that in the release, right? They didn't release any contact details, No, they never they? do. Yeah. So I heard that from enough sources where I felt comfortable to report it. We won't actually get that confirmed until uh, there's some, you know, FOI stuff that comes back um, on his contract. But yeah, that, I'm pretty confident that he was signed at a lesser amount than what Jerry Azanero was being paid. Along those same lines, when all the details of Chip Kelly's contract comes out, the details, uh, you know, it might be structured in a way that you can immediately see, but uh, from what I've heard, 
it looks like he did not get a raise and he might even get a pay cut. So as I wrote on the forum the, uh, yesterday, I, I know I'm piling on y'all and that made everyone goodbye, cruel world kind of stuff, which is ridiculous. But um, yeah, we knew UCLA would be in for a budget crunch, right? I mean, uh, we knew that they'd be like, you know, tightening the purse strings. That had to happen in some way. Uh, I don't know who there is to blame uh, for the overall, I'm not saying the specific hire, I'm saying for the overall medaloo, <laughs> I love that word, of UCLA's athletic department and its finances. I had written one time that, you know, a lot of it is a result of, of you know, a force majeure of, uh, a, a global pandemic and someone a few people I think argued with me that that wasn't the case that's why that's not why UCLA was in this situation and yeah there are other contributing factors I mean Chip Kelly even before the pandemic didn't put butts in seats but we I think we all should maybe just come upon if we're talking about factors COVID probably was you know the biggest factor in UCLA's uh, uh, budget um, it was doing fine before that even with you know, uh, Chip Kelly, and it will probably be fine afterward if we can just avoid global pandemics. Um, so that's the situation financially that UCLA is under at the current moment. That's not making an excuse for Chip Kelly's hire. It, and I'm not, I'm not making an excuse for Martin Jarman or anyone else. It's just this is the reality of the situation of, of the budget that they had to work with. Yeah, and here's uh, obviously, obviously, everyone out there, there were um, probably better candidates you can get for whatever money UCLA spent on Bill McGovern, um, because uh, a better candidate might literally be just some random assistant. A better candidate might be Brian Norwood. Uh, a better candidate could be any number of people. Um, so if you want to critique the hire as it stands from just like a simple, this was a bad hire and there are a million um, more promising linebackers coaches out there. Uh, be my guest. That's a great argument. I love it. Um, but the finances, I mean, you work within a framework and within that framework, uh, no. Was anyone else clamoring to hire Bill McGovern as their defensive coordinator this offseason? No. No. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, there's so everyone just fans tend to just put all this into like this little tidy box. And that's not the way this, you know, they're coming upon the conclusion that, I mean, I'll write something and someone will take something that, that, They'll conclude something from what I that was not what I wrote at all. Uh, I mean, <laughs> this was Chip Kelly's choice. Absolutely. Like you said, could he have gotten someone else for that money? Possibly. I'm not saying they couldn't afford someone else. There might have been other guys, you, you know, that they might have been able to afford. But maybe there were things that Chip Kelly at $700,000 a year, Aiden, but maybe he felt more comfortable with this guy at 450,000. Maybe there were some guys who are big name guys who were 800 to a million. Or let, let's put it this way. Maybe there are other guys that you that were on that original defensive coordinator hotboard that were just not worth the the price tag they were putting on it was just not worth it. Or they don't want to sign on to what they can obviously see as a sinking ship. Yeah, there's so many there's so many elements here going into 
this kind of decision. Speaking of uh, the sinking ship, Tracy. Well, see, that's what I wanted to avoid because I just want to say this too. Um, with all the bros and fans who are saying, you know, I'm this this is my last goodbye, girl world. I'm jumping off the bro uh, cliff. Um, no, they're doing sinking island. They're doing Atlantis. Okay. Um, okay, I'm talking about the sinking ship that is Chip Kelly. Um, okay, well, let me just you can do that. Let me just give this. Okay, you do yours first. You do you. Okay, and well, then I'm gonna, I'll, I'll start I'll with the sinking Atlantis because it. because here's the thing. Uh, the program is not like, okay, all right, so they've got a bad budget situation right now. You know when that gets figured out? Over the next like three years, and then it's yeah. back to normal. Um, exactly. Don't, and, really. and, and, ask, and another thing on top of it. The budget gets figured out, and we have yet to really see UCLA in its present normal form in nature right now. Uh, five, six, seven, eight years ago, it didn't have the whole fundraising infrastructure in place that it does now. It put it in place. It benefited from it for a few years. Voila, look at that little Wasserman Center building over there that people are telling me who have been to USC's facility, been to Oregon's facility, says the Wasserman Center right now is better. Yeah. So UCLA's uh, fundraising is really on a great, fantastic level. Then Chip Kelly and the pandemic hit. When this is two, three years from now, it will go back to the fundraising infrastructure that's in place right now. It was built. Yeah. And it's there. This will all come back. And it, this will, this is bigger. I, I you know, you got to hope that it transcends any kind of, you know, pandemic or, or global catastrophe and gets out from under that. And uh, honestly, the, the vagaries of a of one head coach. It's bigger than that. It's longer term than that. I don't think Chip Kelly's going to be here for longer than a couple of years, regardless if he's good or bad. Yeah, so, no, it's not going to happen. Um, yeah. and and so that's the thing is uh, the UCLA program. Um, look, there there are some um, systemic things going on in college football that are changing the landscape for everybody, but it truly is for everyone, and it's going to be everyone in the Pac-12 besides maybe USC. Uh, NIL is is hitting hard, um, and uh, it's uh, it's going to be a different situation. Now, will that require more regulation? Probably, unless everyone is interested in college football dying as a sport, which I don't think everyone is. So, um, uh, you know, UCLA is in a boat with a lot of other schools um, that uh, are going to have, I think, some challenges. But UCLA also has um, uh, interesting positioning in that it has, I don't know how many, billionaire alumni. Uh, well, here's the cash. other thing, too. So after I wrote that story yesterday about Mitchell Goode, um, and I don't know what to conclude from this. I, I had enough, a, a few sources come at me and say, UCLA has, there are some UCLA players that do have some, some I, w I wouldn't say overwhelming, but some decent NIL deals. They're just not being publicized. So my conclusion is, well, why not? I mean, why aren't they, wouldn't it just serve everyone to get your NI, to get these deals publicized? But the process, what UCLA doesn't have is that huge collective consortium of Tennessee and Texas that will publicize itself yet. But I'm, I'm pretty confident, and this is the way UCLA does things, it might drag its feet for a while on, on the NIL, but it will learn that it has to play this ball game. And like you said, 
there will be enough within, I'm a personal opinion, I know I keep going on tangents, personal opinion that smaller markets have just as much advantage over a, a large advertising market like Los Angeles. You've got your dealership in Tucson that's willing to drop some money on uh, Arizona basketball player as opposed to all the com competition for endorsements in Los Angeles. But still, there's an overwhelming amount in Los Angeles and that will eventually, UCLA will eventually get over its conservatism, which it always suffers from. And I think do well in the NIL market and maybe we'll eventually hear about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, I think, so um, that's the money stuff, which I generally find um, uh, tedious. Um, yeah. So the, the, the on the ground stuff, um, which is why I said this is a sinking ship, the, the grand ship, Chip Kelly, is that they're losing critical guys um, to the transfer portal. Most recently, uh, Mitchell Agude. Uh, this is a guy who we have talked about as uh, the best pass rusher on the roster, um, the most disruptive player on the defense uh, on the defensive front, I would say. Um, and uh, he's 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 heading out. Um, this was an essential guy to keep. Um, and that's you know they've got some some irons in the fire as far as the transfer portal <clears throat> goes, but um, not a good sign. Um, and this is a guy who wasn't, you know, he's not a four-year player at UCLA. He's only been here two years. Um, and it's, uh, you know, that's that's the kind of stuff where, okay, you started this guy, and he played a pretty disruptive role in your defense, and he's he's wanting to leave. Um, and, you know, there could be obviously extenuating circumstances, um, as we've talked about. <coughs> but yeah. uh, it's not a good sign. Like it's just um, it, 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 take it absolutely. It's not a good sign to lose a critical piece of your defense. Now, I wouldn't call it a sinking ship. I would say the ship's coming to port. Um, Chip Kelly, like I said, won't be here. I think within two years. I don't think that necessarily will be precipitated by him failing dramatically at UCLA. I still, with or without Mitchell Agude, Right now, if you look at the Pac-12, the Pac-12 is a mess. UCLA has those three non-conference games. It's 3-0. and If not, Chip Kelly needs to walk away if, it, if he loses Alabama State. So 3-0 and zero right there. Of the nine conference games, we've talked about this. Utah's in the Rose Bowl. SC's in the Rose Bowl, Rose Bowl and they're at Oregon. Uh, the other games, I, I, I see them winning six more. Uh, they're going to win nine games next year. They win nine games. The programs on the program, not necessarily Chip Kelly, but the programs on on decent footing, on good footing. Whether he then uses that part, tries to parlay that for an NFL job, probably. Whether he gets one, eh, maybe he's here for two years. That if you look at the schedule the next year, it's pretty pillowy soft. Also, um, so saying that it's sinking implies that they're not going to do well on the field next year. And I, I think it's nine, it's nine wins, hands down, nine wins. Yeah, um, that's flat. Um, yeah, I, but, I, but the perception of a nine-win team uh, within recruiting circles, within fans, within national, is a good one of a nine-win season. Nine win is, is kind of that threshold. Eight, eh. Nine means you you had a success, successful season. 
Yeah, and we'll see. Um, but the defense, I mean, I'm looking at it now, and I'm having a hard, hard time seeing it being improved, um, given the hire they made at defensive coordinator and then given some of the losses. Um, and then offensively, I think they will be pretty good. I think they'll be pretty good like they were last year. I think they'll be you know, pretty close to that elite tier. Um, which should translate to a similar season as last year. Um, but yeah, I mean, to your point, that's, that's, you know, eight or nine about the, right. About the same team as last year with a slightly next easier schedule. Yeah. So that's nine wins. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking on a, maybe a, a longer time horizon. And frankly, I'm, I am not buying that recruiting is ever going to improve to the extent it would need to, to sustain a program that can actually win tough games. Um, it's amazing how he can just diminish the sexiness of UCLA. Football. It's incredible. It's incredible. And this is something I've been, I've been saying since, uh, like since think of England, but no, no, no but that's of... the thing. It's, it's like, he's recruiting. Like this is a back half of the big 10 team. Like let's see what UCLA yeah. looks like when they recruit, like Indiana. Um, it's just, it's fun. We love it. We love it. Yeah. Don't we folks? Don't we folks? Yes. Um, okay. Well, that's football. Uh, anything else you want to touch on with football? Yeah, I, I think that's it. I think that, I mean, I, I'm just telling y'all, of course you can jump off your own bandwagon. Absolutely. Of course, it's your choice. The longer term, is it a slam dunk? You say football is going to be good in three or four years? Absolutely not. They, regardless of its advantages, it seems to inadvertently get in its own way in so many different ways. But when we get out from under a global pandemic, um, you, the bones of the program are in good shape, even regardless of who the head coach is. Uh, I think, I'm going to go on a limb. What date are we? We're February 18th. Let's say, let's review in 2025 in February. And I'm going to say the program is going to be on some of the best footing it ever has been in our lifetimes. Ooh, damn, that was huge. Okay, no one remember that. Nobody remember it. Uh, Tracy's calling a national title within a couple of years. <laughs> uh, no. All right. Well, that's all for us. That's all, okay. folks. Uh, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and we will talk to you again next time. Have a fun, maskless weekend out there, guys.